Hello, and welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered podcast. I'm Dr. Neha Patak. As part of our series honoring Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we thought it would be really important to talk about breast cancer screening. We know that in the U.S., about 240,000 women and over 2,000 men are diagnosed with breast cancer every year. We also know that there's a one in eight chance that a woman will develop breast cancer in her lifetime. Early detection is our best chance to find a cancer in the early stages. According to the American Cancer Society, when we find breast cancer early and it hasn't spread, the five-year survival is around 99%. Given all that, we're still seeing a lot of confusion around breast cancer screening guidelines amongst a lot of women. So it's so critical to have a discussion about breast cancer screening with your healthcare provider. To help us talk about breast cancer screening is my guest, Dr. Lauren Nye. She's a board-certified oncologist at the University of Kansas Cancer Center and clinical medical director of breast cancer prevention. Welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered podcast, Dr. Nye. Hello. I am thrilled to be here, and I agree this is a really important topic to discuss today. Before we dig into our questions, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your journey to becoming an oncologist. What brought you to your current role and, and what brought you to your passion? When I was an undergraduate, my aunt was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was the epitome of good health, ate well, exercised regularly, always doing yoga, really inspirational. And it was the first cancer I had ever experienced in a family member. And I decided I really just needed to learn more about it. And it's fate would have it. A researcher came into my psychology pre-med class and was looking for someone to assist with breast cancer research over the summer. So I went for it. And I learned so much about breast cancer early detection and just the teamwork that it takes to solve problems in cancer. And that really solidified my interest in breast cancer prevention. I feel like a lot of us make changes or do things based on what we experience in our lives, clearly. And looking back, it was a long time before I had met anyone that was diagnosed with breast cancer in my personal life. But that changed a lot for me in the clinical setting. We're speaking to your women patients and sending them off for screening. And the difference it made in their lives when they went and you found a cancer early it was just a very different conversation than someone who came in with concerns. They had sort of been ignoring them for a long time. And there's just a very different conversation that happens at that point. So I'd love to sort of dig into the difference between screening and if you feel something, if something feels like a question or concern, regardless of whether or not you're in the right age category, you need to bring that to someone's attention. So can we just start right there? Absolutely. In terms of breast cancer screening, we're mostly talking about mammography or getting a mammogram, which is like an x-ray of your breast with the goal of detecting something that we can't feel or didn't feel. Many times there's not even a mass there to feel. So women feel like if they get diagnosed with breast cancer after a screening mammogram, they must have missed it, but they didn't miss anything. That's the whole purpose of the screening mammogram. Whereas women who feel a lump or a bump 
or a change in their skin, or maybe they have some new bloody nipple discharge, that should alert them to talk to their provider and seek what we call diagnostic testing, which is more intense than a screening mammogram. They're going to zone in on that area where there's an abnormality and see what could be causing that. Many times it may not be breast cancer, but if it is, it's something that probably needs to be addressed very quickly. Yes, I think that's so important. So when we're talking about screening for breast cancer and age and the changes for screening, regardless of your age, if you feel something that's concerning, just like you said, that's a very different scenario. And that requires attention from your provider as soon as possible. So don't worry about your age and whether or not you actually fit into the guidelines. We talk a lot about breast awareness in my clinic. I don't need women trying to find the lumper bump every day, but they need to be aware and even men need to be aware that they have breast tissue and just what it normally feels like and looks like so that if it changes, they can seek care. So now let's dig into the cancer screening guidelines. There's a lot of confusion because the United States Preventive Services Task Force recently changed their guidance from starting screening at 50 to starting screening at 40. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And that's just one set of guidelines. There are others. Let's just start with those. Why did they make that change? Correct. There are several professional bodies that make screening guideline recommendations, but the USPSTF, or the United States Preventative Service Task Force, makes recommendations on preventative services and medications and also reports to Congress on the priorities for future research. So they are our key guideline for primary care providers and also insurance coverage of preventative services. So if they don't recommend it, it may not be covered under preventative services. And the USPSTF has recently updated their guidelines for breast cancer screening, with the most notable change being the recommendation to start breast cancer screening at age 40 instead of at age 50, which is on par with most of those other organizations. And this recommendation is still in a draft phase, but we anticipate it to go through. And in that recommendation, they also called for more research to understand ideal screening for certain populations, such as Black or African-American women, women with dense breast tissue, and women over the age of 74, because they don't make any recommendations specific to those groups. I was looking at some of the stats. So Black women under 50 die of breast cancer two times the rate as white women under 50. And right now we don't have recommendations to individualize breast cancer screening for African-American women. So what do you do in your practice? Do you encourage earlier screening starting at 40 for African-American women? How do you approach this really, really sort of horrific statistic? Yes, that statistic, as well as the one that just Black women in general are 40% more likely to die of breast cancer compared to white women are astounding. And they just give you pause. We should be doing better. And there's a lot of outrage about not having specific guidelines for Black women because we do see them diagnosed with breast cancer at young ages, and they tend to get more aggressive types of breast cancer. And we do recommend that they have a more individualized breast cancer risk assessment at younger ages before the ages of 40. 
many are calling for near the age of 25 or 30 that they start having that conversation about what is their risk of breast cancer. That doesn't mean they have to start screening at that age, but we should start being aware of the risk. We know that there's so many barriers to breast cancer outcomes for Black women, and most of these are founded in structural racism that's inhibited access to quality medical care, healthy living, or supportive environments during treatment that probably contribute to those huge gaps in outcomes for Black women. For prostate cancer screening, there are specific recommendations that call out to African-American populations, African-American men. As you mentioned, we don't really have that. So I think it's really important for African-American women, to your point, to really start thinking about it earlier. And you really pointed out a lot of different reasons why there may be a higher risk. We're seeing in general younger and younger populations being diagnosed with different kinds of cancer, including breast cancer. Colon cancer is another one. Do you have any sort of thoughts on research around environmental causes that may be playing a role or is it's too soon to tell? I think it's too messy to tell right now. I think there's so many contributing factors to earlier cancer diagnosis. A lot, believe it is, individual environmental exposures and the things our bodies are exposed to today are different than they were decades ago. Thank you so much for laying that out there. A lot of patients come in with questions around, well, why can't we just do it as early as possible? And I think one of the concerns is around false positives and some of the anxiety that can come with that and the additional procedures, biopsies that may not be necessary. So how do you talk to your patients around that? Breast cancer screening recommendations are made for a population, and a lot of the conversation that needs to happen is individualized. But mammograms do come with risks. They come with a very small amount of radiation exposure, but they come with the possibility of having to have a biopsy that's invasive that could lead to a complication or cause pain. And that biopsy most of the time may come back normal, meaning that we didn't find breast cancer, but now you've gone through this procedure which has a cost associated with it as well, a financial toxicity. So we have to balance those risks with the benefit of early detection. And on a population level, you see more benefit when there's greater risk. So while women under the age of 40 absolutely get diagnosed with breast cancer, on a population level, that isn't our highest risk group. Yeah, let's break down average risk, high risk, and how do we have these conversations that are really individualized in the office? Because clearly, like you're saying, the conversations around when a general population should be screened, when you see a lot of news in the media, it's talking to a large population. But when you're one-on-one with your healthcare provider, what are some of the key points, key historical data from your family, from your life story that you should be sharing so that you can make a better assessment about your risk? The majority of women are at average risk for breast cancer. So hopefully no one leaves this and thinks I must be at high risk. But the USPSTF guidelines for breast cancer screening are specifically for average risk women. So it's important to know if you're at increased risk because those guidelines may not apply to you. 
and you may be eligible for other breast cancer screening, more intense breast cancer screening. So women at increased risk may have a significant family history of breast cancer. They may have a genetic mutation associated with an increased risk of breast cancer. So this is something like BRCA mutations, although there's others that we know about now. A history of chest radiation also increases a woman's risk of breast cancer. This is something like radiation a woman would have if she was diagnosed with a lymphoma as a teenager or in her 20s that is treated with radiation. Or if a woman has had a breast biopsy that shows something called atypical hyperplasia or non-invasive breast cancer, that's also a marker of what I call busy breast tissue. So there's a lot to unpack and know to figure out if you're at an increased risk breast cancer. One of the other things that you brought up in the recommendations where there wasn't really clear guidance yet, but more research is needed, is around the question of dense breast tissue. And a lot of women are now seeing that reported on their mammograms, and there's confusion about what that means and what the follow-up should be if you're identified as someone having that. So can you talk us through what that means when you see that on your mammography report? So for women over 40, they may have on their mammography report their breast density reported. And 40% of women will have dense breast tissue. So it's also not alarming. It's normal to have dense breast tissue. But what that means is that the screening mammogram by itself is limited by that dense breast tissue. So if you think of a mammogram as an x-ray image and your breast tissue shows up white on that x-ray, that's a black or white picture. But what the radiologist is trying to search for is also a white mass or or white calcifications that look like grains of salt. So if they're hiding in that white dense breast tissue, it cannot be as clear. So it's important to report to women so they understand that that mammogram is not as sensitive for them as women who don't have dense breast tissue. The USPSTF does not have any recommendations for what we call supplementary or extra screening for dense breast tissue, but many other societies do recommend additional screening, most frequently with an ultrasound, but some other organizations do agree with the use of a contrast image, either a mammogram or an MRI for dense breast screening. That's interesting. And it's interesting, too, because when we're talking about age, generally, as you age, your breasts become less dense. And that was part of why I think the original change was that you are going to be able to see things better on mammogram, because as you age, there's more fat in the breast and less density. So you can pick up an abnormality like a calcification that appears white on the mammogram more easily. Dense breast tissue limits the mammogram sensitivity, but it's also associated with an increased risk of breast cancer, especially those women in what's called the extremely dense category. You're right, with aging, especially with menopause, we see a reduction in breast density for many women, but some women still remain with extremely dense breast tissue. Getting to your point earlier that you really have to have a discussion in the exam room about your specific risk factors, your specific family history, environmental history, really trying to have a conversation with your provider that gets to helping you figure out your risk category so you can figure out the best time for screening. How do you approach breast cancer screening for a population that is living longer, though we still don't have exact guidance over the age of 74, 
we're seeing more data in this area. So I think eventually we will have guidelines. My takeaway is typically if the woman is interested in getting her mammogram, if she's willing to go through with any diagnostic or invasive procedures that could come as a consequence of that mammogram, and if she was diagnosed with a breast cancer, would she be willing and medically eligible to go through the treatment for that breast cancer? And if we can answer yes to all of those, then I will proceed with breast cancer screening. But if not, it doesn't mean that we ignore her breasts, but we may not need to use mammography screening to keep an eye on her. When do you counsel someone to consider screening for genetic testing? So BRCA mutations, other types of mutations? That is a great question. And one of the areas of focus for my research is figuring out how to help busy providers be empowered to assess both genetic risk and cancer risk. There are different screening tools that providers can use that are endorsed by the USPSTF to identify individuals at increased risk for a genetic risk, and then they can be referred to genetic counseling. These are several question screening tools that take one or two minutes to fill out. Some of them are patient-facing, meaning you can provide the patient with the questionnaire while they're in the waiting room. They fill it out. Others are medical care team-facing where somebody from the medical team fills it out while talking to the patient. And then they're scored. And if the score is high enough, that would mean that they should be recommended genetic counseling. And genetic counseling services have really become much more accessible with telehealth. And so it's less of a burden that we don't have access to as many in-person genetic counselors because telehealth services can be used to refer patients to get the appropriate counseling they need. From everything that we've talked about today, the change from 50 to 40 is a step in the right direction, I think, for our patients. One, because as you mentioned, it helps with insurance coverage, which is a very big barrier for a lot of patients. And then another, it's just sort of that mental leap to actually go and get yourself screened or to have that conversation. I think a lot of us, particularly we've seen after COVID, where there's just so many things that are going on in life that you're trying to manage and juggle, it's hard to prioritize screening or vaccinations or preventive care. A lot of us really just sort of look to that number. And when you think, okay, I can put this on my list when I turn 50, or I can put this on my list when I turn 45, it allows a broader group of women to start prioritizing this earlier in their lives. What do you think about in terms of the benefits of this change? Just important, really critical in general for women to prioritize their health, not just breast cancer screening, but making space for a healthy diet and exercise and cardiovascular risk factors, which even as a breast oncologist, I'll admit cardiovascular disease is still the leading cause of death for women, but breast cancer is also common. But I feel that women have been taking on so much more in society. We tend to be the caregiver, not just for our families, but for our communities. And the common story I hear, especially in Black and African-American women I care for, is that they can't because they have to take care of everybody else. And so we have to really sit down and talk about that in order to be that caregiver and to continue to give, they have to take care of themselves. And I think prioritizing their breast cancer screening is a part of that as well treatment if they get diagnosed with breast cancer. Such an important message. 
What would you say are one or two really important takeaways that someone listening can do today, tomorrow, or in the short term to prioritize their health and their breast health? I would say get curious about your breast cancer risk and start asking about your family history. The more we start talking about it, the less uncomfortable it will become to talk about our family histories, specifically our cancer family history. In terms of breast cancer, like you mentioned that patient and your aunt that comes in and there's no family history that's known of breast cancer. And we can't necessarily rely on that as being protective anymore, can we? No, breast cancer is common. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, and most of those women won't have a family history of breast cancer. But if you do have a family history of breast cancer, even if you have negative genetic testing, we didn't find a genetic mutation, you may still be at a significantly higher risk of developing breast cancer just because of that family history. Well, thank you so, so much for being with us today, Dr. Nye. I really appreciate this conversation. I will definitely take away with me, one, prioritize your health. I think that as someone who is a caretaker for multiple generations at the extremes of age, it's definitely the last thing on my list to prioritize my own health. And I think that that is definitely going to be a takeaway for me. And just to have that conversation that is very individual to you, it's important to know what is recommended for the population at large. But when you're in the office, really talking through with your provider, what is most scary for you? What's most concerning for you? And then what are your personal risk factors? Such an important point. So I thank you so much for that. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation today. And I agree. I have to remind myself every day to prioritize my health. And I do think we're moving towards more individualized cancer risk assessment. And we're just going to have to figure out as a society how to take on that new era. To find out more information about Dr. Lauren Nye, check out our show notes. We'll have a link to her institutional bio. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. If you'd like to send me an email about topics you're interested in or questions for future guests, please send me a note at webmdpodcast at webmd.net. This is Dr. Neha Patak for the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast. 